Hi everyone, welcome here to part two of our four-week series on Galatians. Last week was an intro. This week I'm going to cover Galatians chapter one and two. Next week is Galatians chapters three and four. In the week after that, the final week of the series, we'll ca uh, cover chapters five and six. We're so glad you're with us. I'm really excited about today's message because we're going to cover off the big problem Paul is tackling in, in the book of Galatians. And also at the end of this message, you want to stick around right to the end because at the end of this message, I want to spend some time talking about one of the most famous phrases in the entire Bible is, uh, is uh, Paul's quote at the end of chapter two, which is, I have been crucified with Christ. It's a, it's a hugely popular quote. I'm not always sure that we as evangelicals actually understand what Paul was saying in the original context, but when we get to it at the end of this message, I think it's gonna set a lot of people free. So let's jump into this message and, uh, and we'll start with something I wanna keep reviewing throughout this four week series, which is, what is the big problem that the book of Galatians is addressing? Because if we don't understand the problem, we're not going to understand what we're reading, all right? And so the big problem, the big issue that Paul is answering in the book of Galatians, and it's going to come up on your screen, is that, that some people that Paul calls Judaizers were teaching the, the Galatian Christians that in addition to putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they also had to get circumcised and follow all the Mosaic uh, covenant laws, all the Old Testament laws. In other words, basically become Jewish in order to be saved. Okay, so a group of, of Jewish Christians had come to Galatia and was teaching the, 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 the Galatian Christians, you got to get circumcised, you got to follow the Old Testament laws, that's part of being saved in Jesus Christ. And that's the big problem that Paul is addressing in the book of Galatians. And then out of that, there's a couple of, there's two related problems that come out of that. And again, once you see these things, as you read the book of Galatians in your devotions, in your personal reading times, the whole book is just going to make a whole lot more sense. But out of that big problem, there are two related problems that Paul is dealing with. And, uh, and the first related problem is that the Jewish Christians had started to separate themselves from the Gentile Christians. They weren't eating together. They weren't mingling together. And Paul was really upset about that. That was a huge presenting problem, okay, in the book of Galatians. And then a second related problem was that these Judaizers were undermining Paul's authority. Okay, they were telling the Galatian Christians, uh, you know, they were questioning uh, Paul's authority as an apostle. They were questioning his authority, the authority of his messages. They were saying that, you know, uh, uh, that Paul's message was subservient to the big name apostles in Jerusalem and, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, and now when you understand that as the backdrop, the big problem that Paul is addressing, the related problems underneath, the whole book of Galatians just really starts to come alive, okay? And so section one, over in this course of this series, I wanna just break the entire book of Galatians into a few sections so you can see what each section is about. And then as you're reading it, it's gonna just come alive and it's gonna make sense to you. Section one uh, basically goes from chapter one, verse one, the first verse in the book of Galatians, all the way to chapter two, verse 10. And basically in this section one, the main thing that Paul is doing is he's defending his authority as an apostle and the authority of the message he's been preaching because these Judaizers have been undermining his authority and his, and his message. So for example, I'll just take a couple of excerpts out of chapter one to show you this. Verse 11 in chapter one, Paul says this, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
what's the point of this verse and you know and, and a whole bunch of other light you know similar things that Paul is saying in chapter one is Paul is saying I got my gospel message from Jesus directly not from any people okay my message has authority because it's straight from Jesus it didn't come from the apostles in Jerusalem even it's not dependent on Peter and James and John and the big name apostles it's straight from Jesus now just to take a break here for just a moment and to help you with the rest of the New Testament as well. Throughout Paul's writings, he often talks about my gospel. When the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians and various places in Romans talks about my gospel, what gospel is he talking about? Isn't he preaching the same gospel that Peter and James and John and the Jerusalem apostles are preaching? And the answer is, Yes, it's the same gospel. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is, you know, God come down to earth in the flesh and died and rose again. But when Paul says my gospel, he's speaking specifically about some points that were very important to him for the gospel message. And three points in particular, when Paul talks about my gospel, he's talking about one, the point that the Mosaic covenant you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, his first few books of the Bible and all the laws in the Old Testament there that the Mosaic Covenant is over and finished in Jesus Christ. Secondly, when Paul talks about my gospel, he's emphasizing the point that uh, entrance into, into, into Jesus' family is by faith alone. It's not by circumcision. It's not by following those Old Testament laws. Okay? You just put your faith in Jesus. That's when Paul says, my gospel, this is what he's talking about. The Old Testament laws are gone. It's by faith in Jesus alone. And lastly, and this is a huge point, when Paul says, my gospel, what he's emphasizing is the fact that Gentiles, now in Jesus, Gentiles have equal access. By the way, for those of you who are new to church or new to Christianity, a Gentile, in the old, you'll see that, that word all over in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it simply means anyone like you or me who's not a Jew, okay? Who's not a Jewish person, okay? So the third point, when Paul says throughout his writings and here in Galatians, when he talks about my gospel, he's emphasizing this point that the Gentiles now have equal access into the family of God. Because in the Old Testament, the Jewish people alone, out of all the nations, were the people of God. The Jewish people alone, they had, they had the monopoly. They, had, they were the only ones who were the people of God. But now in Christ Jesus, the Mosaic Covenant is out. The Old Testament laws are out. And now Gentiles have equal access with Jews into the family of God. And those Gentiles don't need to get circumcised. And those Gentiles don't need to follow those old Mosaic laws. They don't have to become Jewish. All they have to do is put their trust in Jesus Christ. When Paul says my gospel in the New Testament, this is what he's talking about. And when he talks, says my gospel here in Galatians, that is what he's talking about. And he's defending it here in chapter 1 to 2 verse 10. He's defending it and saying, this gospel, what I'm preaching is true because it came straight from Jesus. It didn't, it didn't come from any man. It came from Jesus. Now, Paul is going to go on, and because and, you're going to notice as you're reading in, in your devotions or whenever, you're going to notice, man, he's talking a lot about, you know, how much time did he spend with the apostles in Jerusalem this, and how much time didn't he spend with the apostles in Jerusalem there? Why is he talking about all this stuff? Well, he's very, it's very important to Paul here in chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, that he show us that his gospel message is not dependent on the Jerusalem apostles, Okay. 
And so if we take another little excerpt here, verses 16 and 17, he says this, I did not. And so he's talking about right after, you know, in, in the famous story where God shines a light onto, you know, Paul at that point, he's called Saul in the, in the book of Acts and he's blinded and he turns to Jesus. Um, right after that, he says uh, in verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So after he was blinded, he didn't go and consult with Peter or James or, and John. He didn't consult with anybody about Christianity. It says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Again, talking about those big name apostles, the ones who followed Jesus when Jesus was on earth. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul's whole point here is after God met me and Jesus blinded me, I just went off for a few years into the desert and did business with God. Okay, and that's where Paul got this revelation that actually the gospel is for Gentiles too and circumcision and the Mosaic Covenant are no longer needed. Okay, God gave that revelation to Paul specifically. Now, okay, so that's Paul defending his message as being straight from Jesus. However, he wants these Galatians, there's one more point here. He wants these Galatians to know that even though he got that message straight from Jesus, he didn't get it from the Jerusalem apostles, but he wants them to know the Jerusalem apostles, you know, the big names, Peter, James, and John, I have talked to them about what I'm preaching. They know about it and they've agreed to it. So it, it didn't come from them. It came straight from Jesus, but they actually agree with what I'm saying. Okay. And so that's why we find this little section here in chapter two, uh, verses one and two. Then after 14 years, so he goes off into the desert, does some stuff. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Okay. to see the big name apostles with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So what's the gospel that, that Paul proclaims among the Gentiles? You Gentiles can be saved. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is done. You are only have to put your faith in Jesus. Okay, so that's the gospel he was proclaiming to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. So Paul says, I went to Jerusalem after doing, after doing this ministry for years and years. I went to Jerusalem to explicitly tell the big name apostles, Peter, James, and John, exactly what I was preaching about circumcision being done, the Mosaic Covenant being done. You know, Gentiles can be saved just by putting their trust in Jesus Christ. I went to the apostles and told them, and they agreed with me. I mean, I even brought... Titus with me, he's not circumcised, okay? And I, and, and Paul had, Titus was already a leader in the early church with Paul, and Titus wasn't circumcised. And the point is, the Peter, James, and John didn't complain. So we go to the next verse. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, okay? So I've just, I've just summarized for you all of chapter 1 and the first 10 verses of chapter 2. The whole point here is Paul defending his authority. If we're going to recap it, uh, we'll, we can recap this whole thing in just a couple of points. Paul got his gospel message straight from Jesus, not from the Jerusalem apostles. But the Jerusalem apostles have signed off that Paul's gospel is true. Okay? So this is what Paul's doing in chapter 1 and 2. He's setting the stage because now he's going to have to defend his gospel because these Judaizers 
are overturning his gospel. They're saying Gentiles need to get circumcised. Gentiles need to become like Jews and follow the Mosaic laws. So now we come to the problem. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, we come to the problem. What's the problem? The problem is that these Jerusalem apostles, Peter, James, and some of the others, have now been waffling on this truth that Paul has been preaching for a couple of decades by this point, or almost a couple of decades, okay? This truth that Gentiles have full inclusion into the family of God. And so we find in verse 11, we looked at this briefly last week, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face, Paul says, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter had signed off on this truth that Jews and Gentiles are equal in Christ. But when they came, some of these Judaizers, he drew back and separated himself from those Gentiles, fearing the circumcision party, that party of Jewish Christians that were saying, no, 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 the Mosaic Covenant is still for today. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led away, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, um, again, why would uh, Jews uh, at the time? And again, this is this, this is you know there was it, it was more it, it was about people groups. Okay, in the Old Testament, the Jews did not think of salvation the way we do, where you would say a little prayer to God and then you go up to heaven when you die. They thought about being the people of God on the earth. And yes, there was eternal life with that too. But the reason you say, well, why would the Jews refuse to eat with the Gentiles? Well, the thing you have to understand is they saw the Gentiles. Eating with Gentiles would make you a sinner because the Gentiles were sinners. Okay? We have to get into their mindset. You say, how does this apply to us today? You're going to see at the end of this message that there are some deep applications for us today. But before we get to the application for us today, we first have to dig up what did this mean in its original context. And so if I skip ahead two verses, verse 15, Paul says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, I, I have to, you, you have to change your mindset. When you're reading the, the Bible, you have to change your mindset a little bit about what the term sinners means. You say, how can Paul say we ourselves are Jews by birth and then not Gentile sinners? How can he call all Gentiles sinners? Okay. And the reason is because sinners, when Paul is talking, does not just mean doing bad things. When we think of the, the term sinner as Christians today, as modern Western Christians, we think, again, we don't think of the, of the family of God in terms of people groups. We think of the, the family of God in terms of faith. And we think of sin at, in terms of just behavior, which is true. Certainly throughout the New Testament, uh, you know, the word sinner does have big implications of behavior. But what I'm saying is when he calls Gentiles sinners, it's bigger than just behavior. Because the Jews saw everyone who wasn't a Jew. God had chosen them. And by the way, it wasn't because the Jews were being bad. It was the truth of what God had done in the Old Testament. God chose them. All the other nations of the earth followed other gods. They followed the wrong gods. And so even if you had Gentiles who were relatively good people, the Jews thought of them all as sinners because all of them were outside of God's promise and God's family. The word sinner had more had not just to do with behavior, it included behavior. Obviously a big part of his behavior, but also it included this idea of everybody who's in this group of people who is not the family of God. Now, the thing for the Jews was, well, if we're the people of God, we want to be careful about mingling too closely 
with these people who are not the people of God because they might influence us to worship their gods. That was a problem in the Old Testament. So one of the one of the the habits they formed was this habit of not eating with Gentiles, and you were considered to be a sinner. It was almost like the sinnerness of the Gentiles would rub off on you if you ate together. And so the Jews were very strict about not eating with Gentiles. It was all part of being separate, being pure, being holy and separate, the people of God, which sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? it even I think it still sounds spiritual to many of us today. And sometimes we think we're supposed to somehow be very, very pure and holy and separate, but not in the ways of just integrity and stuff, but in these other sort of spiritual sounding ways. And Paul is breaking that down. He's saying there's there's nothing good anymore in Jesus in building up these walls of separation between people. And so in verses 15 through 21, okay, verses 15 through 21, Paul is going to make his theological, he's going to theologically explain his gospel. The gospel that God has specifically given to him about Jews and Gentiles and the family of God. And so he says this, so we ourselves are Jews by birth. So by the way, when he says we, he's now talking to Jewish Christians. In much of the rest of the book, he's going to talk to the Galatian Christians. But right now in this little section here, he's going to explain his gospels or his gospel message. And he's doing it with the we is speaking of Jewish Christians like himself. So we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we, that's Jewish Christians, Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, what are these works of the law that Paul is talking about? What are these works of the law? When he says, by works of the law, will no one be justified? What's he talking about? Now, I know how we Westerners read this. And when we read it, we're not totally wrong. We have, uh, you know, it, we're, we're right, but we're missing. There's a much, there's a bigger point. There's a more specific point that Paul's making in his context. When we read, by works of the law will no one be justified, we think of works of the law as being good. Not lusting, not lying, you know, uh, telling the truth, doing, you know, not cheating. You're basically not breaking the Ten Commandments. And, and we think that what Paul is saying there is, you can't earn your salvation just by being good, which is true. By the way, that truth is included in this, for sure. But when Paul says works of the law here, remember, this whole book is about Jew and Gentile. You know, it, it's gotten different for us because our context is different. So now we think of works of the law as trying to be good. Paul's not talking about trying to be good. He's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. At, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy had hundreds of specific laws, and most of them had nothing to do with being good. There were laws about what you could eat and not eat. You couldn't eat bacon. You couldn't eat pork chops. You couldn't eat a whole bunch of things. There were laws about who you could eat with. There were laws about menstruation and what happened if your wife was menstruating and if you touched her, could you go to the temple and da-da. There's hundreds of laws in the, in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Covenant, and they have to do with all kinds of things Many of which, probably 90% of them, don't have to do with being good or being bad. They have to do with the Mosaic Covenant, sacrifices and ceremonies and festivals and the Sabbath and all of that. So when Paul is talking about by works of the law will no one be justified, he's specifically talking about the Mosaic Covenant, not just trying to be good. 
But this idea that by being circumcised and being Jewish and being zealous for the Mosaic Covenant, that that could save you. He's saying, you, you're not saved by being Jewish, by being in the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, that's specifically what he's saying. The clean and unclean laws, the Sabbath laws and all of that. So that's specifically. Now it includes, you know, trying to be saved by being good, but it's much more specific than that. So let's read the passage now with that in mind. Yet we, that's Jewish Christians, know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That's obeying the Mosaic laws. In other words, what he's saying is you're no longer saved just because you're an obedient Jew. It's, it's, it's quite a different thrust than how we normally see it, but it was very radical in his time. It's why, it's why the Jews persecuted him often. Okay? Yet we, Jewish Christians, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the way you come into God's family now. Now, just by faith, not by ethnicity, not by the Mosaic commandments. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, obeying the Mosaic covenant, because by works of the law, that's obeying the Mosaic covenant, being Jewish, no one will be justified. Now, Paul is setting us all up in the Galatian church. He's setting us all up for what he's going to say next. Gentiles are now full members in the family of God, okay? Um, which should still be exciting to us today, but we've been in this at this now for 2,000 years, so we kind of take it for granted. But I'll show you how this still applies to us today, okay? So now in verse 17, he says, But if in our, again, the, in this little section here, the we and the our has to do with the Jewish Christians. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. What is going on there? Is Christ then a servant of sin? What is this verse talking about? Okay. Because again, the context is Jews, Peter and the apostles not eating with Gentiles. The Jews are separating from the Gentiles and they're, you know, some of the Judaizers are teaching Gentiles that they have to be circumcised and follow the Mosaic Covenant. What's Paul talking about here? We too are found to be sinners? Is Christ then a servant of sin? What's going on? We have to remember all of this context has to do with eating with Gentiles and mingling with Gentiles. Look at the next, look at the next line. Certainly not. In other words, it is certainly not a sin to mingle with Gentiles. For if I rebuild what I tore down, in other words, if I rebuild, the Mosaic laws have been torn down in Jesus. If I rebuild them again as a barrier between Jews and Gentiles, I prove myself to be the transgressor. He's speaking to Jewish Christians. He's saying, they're saying, don't we become sinners if we eat with Gentiles? And he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't become a sinner by eating with Gentiles. You become a sinner by not eating with Gentiles. By erecting, you become a sinner by erecting what Jesus tore down, the Mosaic Covenant, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all of those laws, when he tore those down and said, you don't have to obey those anymore. When he tore those down, if you want to build those up and put barriers between Jew and Gentile again, that's what makes you a sinner. There is only one thing that is now needed to enter into the family of God, and it's not the Mosaic Covenant. It's not, you know, any circumcision. It's not any of those works. And, and of course, it includes, it's not trying to be good. There is one way for you and I and anyone, Jew or Gentile, to be invited and adopted into the family of God. And that is by putting our faith in Jesus alone. So now if we were to recap, and then we're going to get to the part I've been looking forward to this whole message, which is, I have been crucified with Christ. 
What does that mean? But if we were to recap now, uh, you know, this little section, Paul's argument in chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, we could, we could recap it in two points. God's people are now supposed to be a single family. It's no longer Jews and the rest of the world. It's now a single family, Jew and Gentile together and equal. And a second thing we could say from chapter 2, verse 15 to 21, is that in Jesus, the Mosaic Covenant is no longer in effect and now needs to be torn down because it is a barrier between Jew and Gentile. So now in verse 19, we're going to get, in verse 19 and 20, we're going to get to this famous saying that so many of us Christians know, but I think many of us don't really know what it means. This famous, famous quote of Paul's from Galatians 1 verse 20, which says, For I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's keep reading in this chapter. Very next verse after the verses we were just looking at. Paul says, For through the law, okay, that's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. Remember, whenever you see the law here in Galatians, it's talking about all of those laws in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Okay? For through the law, the Mosaic Covenant, I died to the law. That's the Mosaic Covenant. So that I might live to God. Okay? So before, and I say, the next verse is going to be where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. But we can't understand that verse unless we put it in its place right with the verses that are right around it. And right before he says, I've been crucified with Christ, he says something that sounds, in many ways, very similar. He says, I died to the law. But somehow he died to the Mosaic Covenant through the Mosaic Covenant. What is Paul? What on earth are you talking about, Paul? Okay. So just quickly, when Paul says, I died to the Mosaic Covenant through the Mosaic Covenant, what he's saying is, the Mosaic Covenant itself says that it would come to an end. The Mosaic Covenant itself points ahead to a time when the Mosaic Covenant would no longer be in effect. And that's what he's going to do, by the way, in Genesis chapters 3, or Galatians chapters 3 and 4. He's going to use the Mosaic Covenant. He's going to go back into Genesis and Abraham, and he's going to use passages and stories from the Mosaic Covenant to prove that the Mosaic Covenant is no longer in effect. Through the law, I died to the law. Okay, and now he comes to verse 20 and we have this, you know, one of those, you know, top maybe three or four verses, phrases, sentences in the Bible, you know, up there with maybe John 3.16. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, what on earth does it mean when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ? Okay, what, what does that mean? Okay, think about it for just a moment. While you're, while you're watching this, think about it for just a moment. Like, if you've ever quoted that verse, or maybe you have it up on a wall somewhere in your house, which is great, it's a great verse. And wait till we think about it in its context. It comes even more alive, I believe. But when you say, I've been crucified with Christ, what does that mean to you? What, when you've heard that message, that verse preached in church before, maybe you've heard me preach it in years past, what do we as preachers in the West typically preach this as? I have been crucified with Christ. Okay? I'll tell you what I think we often mean by that. 
even as you try to put into words, what do we, what do we mean by that? Because none of us actually gets up on a cross and gets physically crucified. So what do we mean when we say we've been crucified with Christ? I'll tell you what I think we kind of mean, even if we have never put it in words like this. And then I'll show you how actually what we think it means is quite different. I think that when we quote the verse, I have been crucified with Christ, what we mean is this very spiritual sounding thing of, I no longer do what I want to do. I only do what Jesus wants me to do. Okay? I think that's what we think. When we think, <coughs> pardon me, when we think I've been crucified with Christ, we think to ourselves, <clears throat> someone who's very spiritual, who <clears throat> I don't watch movies anymore because I, I spend so much time in prayer. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have time to, to coach soccer. I would never buy myself something frivolous like a boat to go have fun on a lake because I have been crucified with Christ. I spend my time fasting. And I spend my time doing very spiritual things. By the way, fasting is a wonderful discipline to do. And prayer and Bible reading are wonderful things to do. But when we think of, I have been crucified with Christ, we, I think many of us think of, I live a very hard life for Jesus because I love him so much. And I do all these spiritual things that I don't really want to do, but I do them anyway because I've been crucified with Christ. Now, does that have anything to do with the context of Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> is Paul saying here in Galatians, he's been talking all about Jew and Gentile. Suddenly he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer do fun stuff. I'm no longer a human being. I don't laugh. I don't have fun. I don't have hobbies. I don't hang out with my family. I don't play sports. I don't pay attention to, to you know, media and things like that because my mind is totally just Jesus in the Bible all the time. That is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the same thing in the context he's been talking about this whole time. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, he's giving the flip side. It's, the, it's, the, it's two sides of the same coin with, I died to the law. See, here's the thing you have to understand. Paul's whole identity before he gave his life to Jesus, his whole identity was in being an amazing, zealous, Pharisee, Jewish person for God. And that wasn't just a little bit of a religion. That was his whole life. Like the Mosaic Covenant governed your whole life. It governed what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't do. It governed, you know, uh, clean and unclean. When you could do this, when you could not do that. If you touched this, then you couldn't do that. It governed what you wore. It governed who you ate with. It governed what you eat, ate. The Mosaic Covenant was a whole, you know, way of life. It was hundreds of laws that governed how you lived. And so before Paul gave his life to Christ, his life revolved around the Mosaic Covenant and all those laws and circumcision and being a Pharisee and being for, zealous for God through all these Mosaic laws. And he actually got a lot of satisfaction out of it. He talks in Galatians 1 in one place about how he was advancing beyond most other Jews. He he was respected because he was so good at being zealous for God. He was so good at following all those laws. He was respected. He was moving up in the world. And then his, he gave his life to Christ and he died to all those laws. 
And he says, I was crucified with Christ. All of those, all of that circumcision, Mosaic law, that whole culture and lifestyle of what he was doing totally changed. Went out the window. He says it matters. By the way, in Philippians, when he says, I count all that stuff as rubbish, it's exactly the same thing as what he's talking about here. All the Mosaic stuff is done. I, I spent my whole life devoted to those things. But now in Jesus, all of that's gone. It's faith in Jesus alone. I've been crucified with Christ. If you looked at Paul's life before, he was living this, wow, this sort of life. And now if you looked here, he's not following all those rules anymore. It's totally different. He's eating with Gentiles. You know, he's, he's maybe having bacon on his chicken sandwich, right? Like he's, he's it, it's totally different now. I've been crucified with Christ. His old identity as a zealous Pharisee Jew is dead. He hasn't died to being human. And that's something I want to say here right now because uh, I have been crucified with Christ does not mean you can no longer enjoy anything in life. You can't go on vacations. You have to be extremely disciplined with all with all of your devotional practices, which by the way, devotional practices are very helpful, very, very helpful in the Christian life, but they're not rules. They're not laws. You don't earn anything with God through them. And, and Paul, so, um, so when Paul, when, when, when he says, I've been crucified with Christ, he's not talking about living a life of just, I don't do anything fun. God didn't put you on the earth to not be human. He didn't put you on the earth to be a monk. Unless you're called to be a monk. Some people are called to be monks. Great. But if you're a, a person with a family, you know, parent that family for Jesus. If you're a person who has got athletic ability, play sports for Jesus. Teach for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Rest. Genesis 1. Be fully human for the glory of God. If Jesus didn't want you to be fully human, who plays, who rests, who has hobbies, who has friendships, who knows their neighbors, he wouldn't have made you a human being if he didn't want you to be a human being. So I have been crucified with Christ is not about trying to attain some level of seriousness and self-discipline and self, you know, holding yourself back. You say, well, what if I want to do sinful things? Well, yes, then being crucified with Christ does mean, like, okay, does mean not doing what you want. If you want to do. So if you're watching this right now and you just deeply desire to commit adultery, yes, being crucified with Christ means you don't get to do that anymore. You have to die to your desires. If that's your desire. If you desire to murder people, you're going to have to put that desire aside. Because yes, if your desires are for sin, being crucified with Christ does mean you have to put away your sinful desires. You know, if your desire is to steal and cheat people all the time and to emotionally abuse and control your wife and dominate her, if that is your desire to lord over her, your male authority, whatever that is, and that's a whole nother topic we can get to, in Galatians as well. It's not true. Men are not to have that kind of authority over women ever. But if that's your desires, then yes, being crucified with Christ does mean giving up your sinful desires. But being crucified with Christ does not mean giving up perfectly human desires and wonderful things for love and relationship and rest and play and those sorts of things. I hope that's helpful for you. And just to show you that I'm not making this up, the very next verse says, Galatians 2 verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, 
For if righteousness were through the Mosaic Covenant, through being circumcised and being a Jew, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ's death was the end, the fulfillment, and the end of the Mosaic Covenant. Well, three points. What does this mean for us today? Aside from the, you know, I've been crucified with Christ thing. What does this mean for us today? Well, there's a new family on the earth today, the Jesus people. And I think that, was that a music group maybe at some time or something? I don't care. That's not why I'm saying it. I just like the sound of it, okay? But Paul's big argument here is there's a new family on the earth. The Jesus people, Jews and Gentiles, they're all in the same family. It's no longer about one nation. It's no longer one group of people. It's open to everyone, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, whatever gender, whatever uh, ethnicity, whatever economic status, you know, whatever kind of human being there is. It's open by faith in Jesus Christ. Adoption into the family is by one thing, putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, this family is defined by unity and equality across ethnic, cultural, gender, and socioeconomic lines. I just want to say that again. Just I'm going to leave that up on the screen. This family is defined by unity and equality across ethnic, cultural, gender, and socioeconomic lines. What do I mean by that? Because I know some of you are sitting here and you're thinking there, uh, that sounds liberal. Like you're using words there, equality, you know, ethnic, cultural, gender, socioeconomic. That sounds liberal. It's not. By the way, that whole, you know, that whole label, liberal, is often just thrown around to, to paint people in the corner and is, is often meaningless, okay? But it isn't liberal to say what's actually in the Bible. And I'm going to jump ahead. Probably every week we're going to read the the kind of the the big you know, Paul's big exclamation and climax in the, in the book of Galatians comes at the end of Galatians 3 about the family of God on the earth. And it's here in verses 26 to 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all. And if he was speaking in English today, he would say sons and daughters or children. He wouldn't just say sons. It has to do anyway. We won't get into the original context. But for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All, not Jews and Gentiles, separate. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's the ethnicity and the culture. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this family, there is no right. This is the family of God on the earth. And, and the Jesus people are one family. And in this family, there is no right ethnicity, there is no right culture, there is no right gender, there is no right economic status, like, you know, very successful business person is more important than this person, you know, whatever, that struggles with whatever in the church or isn't as influential in the world. None of that matters in the family of God. By the way, there is no right culture. The only thing that matters is faith in Jesus. This is hugely important, by the way, for history and for missions. We don't have to, in fact, we're not supposed to. That's Paul's whole point in Galatians. We're not supposed to make other cultures like our culture. We bring Jesus to people and then they wrestle with 
What does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus in our culture? I'll tell you one of the biggest mistakes that Western missionaries have made for a couple of centuries, not all Western missionaries, but certainly enough Western missionaries, was many Western missionaries mistook Western European culture for the gospel, and the two are very different things. That's the same thing the Jews were doing in Galatians, the Judaizers. They were like, no, 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 you can't just be in the family of God. You've got to take on the Jewish culture and the Mosaic Covenant. And Paul's like, no, you just need Jesus. Too many Western missionaries, again, not all, but too many Western missionaries mixed up their culture with the gospel and thought that in order for people to follow Jesus, they also had to be West like Westerners. And tremendous damage. By the way, as a Christian evangelical church, we need to actually come to grips with this. Tremendous damage has been done in the world over the last number of centuries wherever missionaries have gotten that wrong. By the way, missionaries have done tons of good in the world. Many missionaries have done tons of good. But some missionaries also did quite a bit of harm. Harm that is still felt in nations and people groups around the world. And that harm came wherever missionaries mistook Western culture for the gospel and tried to force their culture on others. By the way, that same thing has happened here in Canada. And this is why at Crossview Church, but not just at Crossview Church, Christians in Canada, we should, we should deeply care about what, you know, the, the, all the stuff with Indigenous peoples in the news right now. Instead of being frustrated and, and impatient, we should deeply care and even repent, even though maybe it wasn't personally me. It was, pe it was people like us. It was people like us, and we're all of them bad. You're saying, are you saying that all Indigenous people are perfect and all white people are evil? No, that's not what I'm saying. Not at all. But my point is, the Indigenous people in this country and sometimes by some people in the name of Christ, had people in our government and, and people in churches literally intentionally try to tear away their culture and force them to be different. And it is bearing fruit still decades later. It is the damage and the hurt and the trauma are intense. And we can't just move by it by just saying, can we all just forget about it and move on? No, actually we can't. Harm has been done. And sometimes that harm has been done in the name of Christ. In the book of Galatians speaks to that today. Because the family of God operates differently. The family of God tears down the barriers. In Paul's day, it was the Mosaic Covenant. In our day, we need to reach across ethnic and cultural lines. It's not about one side being perfect and one side being evil. It's not nearly that simple. It's not nearly that black and white. There's so much complexity. But as Christians, Wherever we see that there's been harm because some people in the name of Jesus have tried to force another group of people to change their culture in the name of Jesus, harm is always done. And so we pray with Galatians and the New Testament as our foundation because the family of God does not require a change of culture to join it. It requires only one thing, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. This family, and I won't spend any time here, this family also does not operate by fear, force, or control, but simply by invitation, mutual submission, and love. Well, I'm going to put up a slide with those three points. And what is one thing the Holy Spirit might want you to take away from this message today? 
What is one thing? Why don't you just take a moment? I've got those points up there on the screen. What is one thing the Holy Spirit might want you to take from this message today? That Jesus died to make a single family, the people of God, the Jesus people across ethnic, cultural, and gender barriers. Jesus died to do that, and his family is supposed to operate in that way. Is there one thing the Holy Spirit might want you to take away from this message this week? To think about, to do, perhaps to be changed. Next week, we're going to tackle Galatians chapters 3 and 4. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, help us to be your family here on the earth. Help us to be a family that breaks down barriers between ethnic groups, between cultures, between genders, and between socioeconomic, rich and poor, and all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.